Bonjour, Rita. Ciao, Raffaele. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm sick. I get, actually got COVID. <laughs> oh, no. I knew this already, and I'm so sorry about that. I wish you uh, the speediest recovery. Thank you. And I so wish we had met in Paris. Oh, yes. It was planned long ago, but we couldn't meet in the end. Yes, right. Uh, as I said last uh, episode, you were on your way to Paris with your beautiful family to enjoy a bed. And we were supposed to meet on Sunday. And at the end of the week, like just on Friday before, I got positive. So we couldn't, right? Uh, well, mm. get well soon. Thank you. That means we'll have to meet somewhere else Sunday <laughs> soon. So what are we talking about today? So today's episode is going to have a couple of sections. In the first section, we are going to talk about economics. Ooh. Uh, we are going to talk about the Pareto Principle and what that has to do with language learning. And then in the second section, we are actually going to uh, talk about how Rita and Raffaele actually learn their vocabulary when tackling a new language. So I'd say let's start right now with the first section. So what is a Pareto principle, Raf? I would actually start with who is the guy. Who is Pareto? Who is Pareto? <laughs> so let me tell you a story about a guy. His name was Raffaele Pareto, mm. an mm -hmm. Italian guy. He married a French woman and moved to France, to Paris, actually. Mm -hmm. And there he, uh, they gave birth to uh, a, a young kid. Well, of course, a young kid. And then they give birth. <laughs> they gave birth to a baby, yes, like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and they called him Wilfredo Pareto. This Wilfredo Pareto will move back to Italy when he's 10. He will study economics and he will actually become a teacher. He will become an economist and many more things. And he will write a book. And in this book, he will actually say uh, that in his researches, he had found out that 20% of the population of Italy owned 80% of the whole land, of the all of Italy. Crazy. <laughs> and he found out that this principle actually applied to a lot more things in life, not just uh, in the economics, uh, but also in other things in life. I think if I remember, I remember well, because I had economic classes, it was my minor at the university, um, he actually tried doing that research for other countries and realized it was kind of the same all over. Um, and then a lot of researchers in science or in linguistic, for example, found out that this rule applies. Yeah, the power rule applies. And it applies still today. There are a lot of fields where it applies. For example, also when uh, you have donations, generally just 20% of the donors uh, amount for 80% of all donations. And there are so many applications in the modern day world as well. One mm -hmm. of them is language learning. Yay. So what is it exactly in simple words? Well, in simple words, this principle states that in many situations, uh, roughly 80% of results come from 20% of the causes. Mm -hmm. And exact numbers are not really important here uh, but generally speaking, uh, most of the effects come from a small percentage of the actions. Mm -hmm. For business management, for example, uh, it is often said that 80% of the sales come from 20% of the clients. 
but it can actually be applied to language learning in so many different ways. Like, for example, vocabulary, but also grammar. Like, you don't need to know 100% of the grammar rules. You just need the most important one, 20% of the grammar rules that will be used 80% of the time. It also applies to uh, pronunciation, for example. Mm -hmm. You can be approximate when learning pronunciation at first and then try to make it a little bit better farther down the road. But it mainly applies to vocabulary. And I would say if there is one shortcut to language learning, this is the one. So how so? Exactly. So if I want, if I understand well, you have 20% of your input so on whatever you learn and the effort you put, that makes you understand in a language 80%, kind of. So in vocabulary learning, if learning 20% of the vocabulary or frequent vocabulary will make you understand 80% of the language, is that so? Yes, that's correct. So uh, in every language, there are le- uh, not every word in a, in a language uh, has the same value. Like there are some words that have more value because they are used a lot more. They are a lot more common. So instead of, you know, trying to give the same weight, give the same value to every single word, we should all focus on the most important words, the most common words that represent like the 20% of the dictionary, but that are actually used 80% of the time. So in a language like English, for example, where there are hundreds of thousands of words, uh, you can actually just leave with a thousand words or so. Yes, totally. And uh, I mean, we are, just to be clear, we are not telling people that they should stop there, but it's a start. And if you want to be able to talk and communicate with people and understand most of the things that are happening around us in a language, 20% of those words are enough to make you understand what's going on around you in 80% of the time, right? Yes. That's a great point, Rita. Of course, uh, we shouldn't stop there. We shouldn't stop just at the 20%. We should just put, you know, the most focused at least uh, at the beginning of our language learning journey. And then the rest, you know, it, it's a different phase when you are trying to improve your language. But mm-hmm. uh, even when it comes to the number of hours you need in terms of language learning, we talked about the Foreign Service Institute, for example, mm-hmm. a few episodes ago. And now you need, I don't know, a thousand hours to master a language. Mm-hmm. But actually, just the 20%, so 200 hours, get you a long way. You can actually have most conversations after those 200 hours because you will have learned already most of the language or the most common words that you need to be conversational in that language. Yeah, so our um, outtake from it is that we shouldn't be waiting and maybe learning so much vocabulary uh, that is not really necessary because it's not useful in the beginning. It might even have a counterproductive kind of result because we will feel, you know, like um, less motivated in learning. So there are frequency lists usually in a few languages, I guess, right, that you can start with so that you can feel comfortable 80% of the time. And from there, you can build on and learn more vocabulary. That's what we mean by that, right? That's correct. Let me give uh, a few examples on how this uh, actually applies to mm-hmm. uh, language learning. For example, did you know that there is a simple English Wikipedia? Well, I learned it with you, actually. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I saw it on uh, the, the links you put there while preparing this uh, podcast, this episode. I thought it was very interesting. I didn't know that they were. And actually, what I found very interesting is to help a lot of people who have um, maybe some, you know, different problematics in learning 
or people who are just might be learning English, uh, they are not native speakers, uh, and actually they get lost um, in getting the information when they have the kind of normal Wikipedia. So having built that, I think it's very interesting because it's kind of more inclusive, you know, to people. Yeah, it's a great resource, uh, especially for language learners, for those who are learning English. And even though English has so many thousands of words, they only use between 800 and 1500 words. And I mean, if you can write a, a whole uh, encyclopedia using, you know, a, a simplified version of that language, it means that you can actually uh, do a lot with very little. And that's one of the big points of this Pareto principle, which is also called by some as the 80-20 rule. So you can do a lot with little. Definitely. So can you give us a few more examples about how these, um, you know, the Pareto principle in certain languages, like for example, Japanese or Chinese or whatever, would work? Uh, when it comes to uh, Japanese, uh, for example, characters, the kanjis, there are thousands of kanjis, of course, but just 500 make 80% of all the kanjis, of all the Japanese characters that you can find in the newspapers. That's quite a lot. Wow. And uh, if you double that amount, so you'll learn just 1,000 kanjis, you can actually read 94% of that newspaper and making it 2,000 brings you to 99%. And it's something very similar. The percentages are very similar when it comes to Chinese characters. So roughly 500 characters give you the chance to read 80% of a daily newspaper. Mm -hmm. But now I guess time has come for us to switch to the second section where we spill the beans over how uh, we uh, learn vocabulary when learning a new language. The question here is, Raf, how do we identify that? We are talking about vocabulary learning now, but basically, can, what can we say to our listeners? Where should they start? You know, let's suppose it's any language. How can we do that, really? That's uh, the the one million dollar uh, question in a way. Uh, how to learn vocabulary? What's the best way? How to identify the twenty percent? The thing is, most language books uh, do that for you. This is what I call the controlled language. It's not the actual language that people uh, speak in the streets, like in our videos or in our podcast. It's controlled language. It, th those books are written in a way that uh, they only use a specific amount of words so that you are not overwhelmed by a huge avalanche of words. And it's the same thing that happens with graded readers, uh, which I'm a big fan of, uh, which, you know, level after level, they kind of build your vocabulary up until you're fully confident that you can even hold a conversation or read uh, an actual book. You totally, know, yeah. A non-controlled uh, book. Mm -hmm. Totally, I agree with that, yeah. There are also frequency lists all around the internet. Some are accurate, some not so much. But the thing with frequency lists is that they tend to make you learn words one after the other. And I don't think it's a great way to learn words. I think we learn words better when they are in a context. And if the context is actually a whole story, that's a lot better than makes the whole you know difference. And this is actually the reason why I love graded readers. There are uh, These are books that come in different levels. Uh, each level has a different number of words that they use. And so you can start from the lowest level 
which is going to be easier uh, and you know then build your way up to most difficult uh, books that have a lot more words. So for me, it is very important to learn words in context. What do you think? Totally, I agree. Um, in my case, I, I basically wanted just to say about the Pareto principle that is an amazing indicator of what is possible and what where we should start in terms of not losing energy and spending time and things that would not you know help us at the end. But I, I tend to be quite, quite critical and a bit also, um, let's say, skeptical because um, I don't want people to understand it as something that you have to, you know, glorify performance. It's one thing to want to be efficient, but at the same time, that's not how I approach language learning personally. Uh, first thing I would say to anybody who want to learn a language, because not all languages have so many resources online where you can find easily frequently lists. And then we are left with the question how to start and where to start. So basically, I would say, First, learn about the language you want to learn, uh, the whole system. What is it? So when I've been teaching French like to people, I always tell them, you know that we have articles and genders. Simple, right? So when you learn a noun, learn it with the articles, uh, a verb with the preposition that go with it, because it saves you time. So why am I saying this? Because at the end, it's not about learning a word only alone, as you said, it needs context. So for me, the context starts with learning sentences, basic sentences. And the uh, the um, example you gave of those books that are um, written with, uh, um, with the language that is controlled is very interesting, but you can find these things and make them for your own. So for example, with my students, I would tell them to use this category, you know, game, instead of just learning cities and like just trying to build your vocabulary and randomly kind of when you choose a letter as the game, you know, um, um, like ask for, um, you, you like choose a topic, like I would like to talk about myself or my family. And then I write categories with like knowing that the language has, for example, adjectives, verbs, uh, any other category like adverbs. And I write the ones I know and it becomes my toolbox and then I use it and I make my own sentences from it. And then how do I learn vocabulary from there? How do I build and kind of improve that sentence? If there is an adverb there and I'd like to be more specific later on, I find a synonym and I love looking for synonyms. I love using dictionary. It sounds old school, but I really love that. I think these are little things you can put in place to help you. There are other things you can, of course, go shop, grocery shopping. You learned a few vocabulary that are basic, that are more frequent in that language. You write that in that language you're learning. You don't write it in your own language. So note taking is very important. You know, um, if you don't like to do it with a paper, I like that. You can use. You have so much technology nowadays. You know that can help you with that. So this this is kind of the first stage. But there is another stage later. I love etymology myself, and it's also kind of a way to give and bring context. I always look of the word where it comes from, how it, if it looks like a similar word I know or not. And kind of it tells me about the story of the word and it sticks, you know. So it's very important not to lose the, the fun and the passion when you're doing that. And having just a list, a frequency list in front of you, as you said, and without any context, without any sentence that could help you with the structure of the language and help you already be able to communicate and talk properly – that's a no-no for me. And and the last thing, when I talk about pleasure also, it's just for me. Of course, it doesn't, it might not work for everybody from the beginning, but I like to find, you know, when I, we talk about poetry, that's definitely not a controlled um, language, but I would definitely, because you want to have a feel and a sense of how the language, you know, work and poetry sometimes, especially modern one, plays with words and everything. I thought, I thought, um, I think it's always nice with the 
note taken. I do that often. Could be music if people prefer music. To write down sometimes some poems and read them out loud from, to myself in the, lang the languages I'm learning. And it just gives me a sense of the beauty of the language and kind of keep me going with the vocabulary. It doesn't mean that I have to learn properly all the words that are there but you know words don't have only one meaning the scope of the meanings of a word are is, is so huge sometimes in certain languages that of course you want to start with the basic one but I believe that language is also kind of poetry it's art it's beauty we shouldn't be keeping ourselves after one once we kind of master those frequent words from learning quickly something more complex. The idea is not to learn it in a robotic way, not to sit down, write, and repeat. That's not, at least it doesn't work for me, but really true different resources that, you know, spark joy within us, keep on using them. Now, if you really want to run and learn in three months, and we spoke about that before, that might be not the method for you, but that's how it works for me at least. Yeah, I love that you mentioned poetry and art And uh, these are all subjective things. You know, you can like a poem and I can like another one or a work of art and I can like a totally different one. That's because it's subjective. And uh, e economics on the other side are something that's much more objective. And we started uh, with, you know, economics, uh, but actually language learning is something that is very subjective. Everyone learns in a different way and everyone has different interests. And mm -hmm. this goes back to what you said about, you know, uh, finding pleasure in what you are doing. And this is a great part of language learning. So, for example, I told you that when I start learning a language, I always start from those language books or those courses where the most important part for me is not the explanations of how a grammar rule works. I still read them, but, you know, just to be aware of them. But the most important part is the language itself, the controlled language, as I call it. Uh, that's the teacher. Uh, you learn by reading the uh, or listening to the language itself. But then, you know, once you have, once you are done reading those those books, it's actually up to you. It's where you want to take uh, your vocabulary and your uh, new language, because uh, in a way, the controlled language teaches you the core vocabulary, the one that you absolutely need, that 80% that is used in everyday conversations. But let's say the other 20%, it's up to you. It really depends on what you want to learn. For example, in my case, my interests are, for example, sports, football, in, uh, to be more specific, but also music, but also art and other things, you know, traveling and so on. So I try and read Uh, actual uh, stuff, actual article from the internet or listen to podcasts and we are not in the controlled environment anymore. We are in the real world now and that means that I will encounter uh, new words more often but those are going to be easier to learn because I have that other 80%, that core vocabulary to help me and I can also learn the, the other 20 with context or of course with the help of uh, dictionaries or, uh, you know, even uh, digital dictionaries or even Google Translate for what matters. Yes, definitely. So we agree on that, that we have to have meaningful um, resources. But before that, starting with things that are frequent to be able, like, use to use them as tools to learn 
later on, things that are we more interested in, right? But importantly, repeating and again and again in context. That's very important. But yeah, I mean, as you said, um, economics or math, I mean, I have a background in mathematics, so I can really speak about it. It's just something that is just stressing me sometimes that in very, like in different areas in learning, we really want to always kind of rationalize everything and sometimes just bring to it so much of the you know, a controlled mathematical way of seeing. And it's funny because I have a PhD in mathematics and I don't enjoy doing that much. I find, for example, in linguistic, there are so many things that are related to mathematics that has been explained, explored and analyzed by uh, linguists and are very interesting. But in the day-to-day -day life, there are a set of rules that kind of we can explore and understand But most importantly, we want to know why we are learning a language and what we want to do with it, you know. And I just tend to be more careful in in sense of what, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to start learning any language? I mean, if you learn a language naturally, those controlled languages are there in the streets, actually. You just have to be talking to people from day one. And they'd be frequently repeating the words you need to know to talk, you know. So it's kind of um, an interesting topic, I think. I, I just don't want to confuse a listener and make sure that even if the method seems different, at the end, we are saying the same thing, right, Raf? Whereas you have a frequency list in a few languages. A few languages don't work like that, you know? I mean, we're not talking to people that are only learning Spanish or French or a language that has resources online. There are tons of other languages that are minority languages that are difficult to get to and they don't have those frequency lists. So how, like, what are you left with, you know? So just start on your own. Identify the one that are repeatedly there. But most importantly, know what you're doing, which means start talking from day one, Uh, and um, write those tricks that I was given in the beginning, like writing down, doing your grocery and those things. It's just living the language all the time. And that's something we shouldn't be forgetting about. Yeah. My bottom line uh, on, on this is that you should uh, maximize objectively the beginning of your language learning by focusing on what really gets you farther in the first stages. And then, of course, you have to go on and making it personal uh, by learning whatever you feel uh, is important and relevant to you. So uh, objective first, because you have to learn a new language, but as soon as possible, you try and make it very personal. So subjective. Definitely. So Rita, we mentioned, uh, you know, how uh, personal interests are very important uh, in learning vocabulary and in learning languages in general. And I said that one of my interests is football. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love football. And this is a special time of the year. As you know, we have the World Cup in Qatar, the most controversial World Cup in football history. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> we had, uh, you know, our network doing a couple of videos about the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I'm going to make you an offer you can refuse. Okay, to, what is it? <laughs> just to quote a, an Italian-American movie. Let's go to Qatar. <laughs> I wish we could do that. Uh, and I'm not sure we should do that on the other side. But what, I'm, what I want to suggest you is what if we try and play those games along? Like the Easy Polish team, they did a video mm -hmm. uh, with the teams trying to pronounce the names of Polish footballers. And we yeah. absolutely butchered the language. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think you did well. And, and well. a few others, but it was funny. And they were so patient with you guys. <laughs> they were, absolutely. <laughs> it wasn't easy for them, I think. Yeah, it was a funny video. And another video I want to mention is the one uh, from the Easy, our beloved Easy Portuguese, Portuguese. channel. Yeah. In Brazil, they asked people about the World Cup and who's going to win. So what do you think if we talk about the World Cup in our bonus, but especially mm -hmm. we try and pronounce some names of uh, Polish or Moroccan players? Let's do that. <laughs> and maybe we also predict who's going to win it. Sure, with pleasure. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. So anyone who wants to listen to our Uh, bonuses, which most of the times are in uh, multiple languages. You can follow the links in the show notes. Uh, our website is easy-languages.org slash podcast. And, you know, the, the members uh, have access to many bonuses, like our after show, but also monthly Q&As with us. And we are going to have pretty soon. And a bonus episode. So join us right now uh, if you want to listen to the after show and we'll talk to you next week. Ciao.